On the Virtual Bible Study tonight, we're going to talk about seven abominations. Yeah, we put out uh, our update earlier today and mentioned seven abominations. And my guess is that a lot of people's mind immediately went to the text that we're going to use as the basis of our study tonight from Proverbs chapter 6. Seven things that are abomination to God. We're going to get started on that right now. It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 93- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study and we welcome you into the virtual bible study for thursday march 17th 2022 thank you for joining us on the program giant my name is jacob gwynn my father greg gwynn is here hello dad jacob great to be with you tonight kyle's behind the controls kyle welcome it's good to be here. glad that you're here glad that you're listening on the other end tonight eight seven seven or nine three one three eight one four five six seven is the telephone number to use the phone line is open call in and let your voice be heard tonight questions at collegeview.com and to the bottom of your video feed the chat window is live and ready for your comments you just need to sign in there use a pseudonym if you don't want to use your real name but sign in chat with other listeners on this important topic all right so to our update list today we sent out just a very a a very simple update denoting the text that we want to consider from Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. If always tell you to get on our email list. If you're not, send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Say, add me to the list. We just uh, Question one, define what an abomination is and why should we care about the seven that are listed in Proverbs 6. And then the second question is just comment on each of those seven things that's an abomination to God. There's a lot. There's a lot there. And and so I think it's a worthy consideration. Uh, you know, this would be sort of like, so I, I've, I've been arrested, and I, I have a trial date coming up. And so my attorney is trying to prepare me uh, for the trial, and he says, now here's something. The judge absolutely hates when people chew gum in his court. Well, if I knew that, then I would not be chewing gum when I went into the court. The, the judge expects every defendant to wear a shirt and tie. And he really gets mad if you don't. Well, I'd wear a shirt and tie, right? So, you know, if you knew something that your ultimate judge didn't like, you, you, would, you would really be doing yourself a great favor to, abo- uh, to avoid those things. Well, God is our ultimate eternal judge. And he has told us some things that he hates that are an abomination to him. And for that reason, we ought to, this ought to be particularly important to us. All right. Uh, and it's more than just not doing things that God doesn't like. We need to be like God. We need to adopt these uh, attitudes in our life as well. It's like, well, you know, I, I would like to do one or two of these things. It would really be nice. But since God hates them, I'm not going to. Now, if God has an attitude towards them that he hates them, we need to adopt that as well as we try to be like him in our lives. And we might point out, too, Jacob, that there are other things mentioned in the Bible that use that designation abomination that are not in this list of seven things. And so we're not saying that this covers all the bases of things that are an abomination to God, but these seven are, and therefore that ought to be important to us. All right. uh, So you'll want to join in the discussion tonight as we look at these seven things. All right. So first of all, we just asked to define what an abomination is. And... And, and, and if I was just going to just give a very kind of quick definition of it, it's, it's something horribly detestable, something that's just sickening, in fact. Uh, you know, I'm trying to imagine something of the order of like the smell of something that's dead, like a dead animal. If you if you smell a dead animal after it's been dead for a few days and the stench is just... It, it gets in your nose, and you can't hardly even get that smell out of your nose. It's just so horrible. To me, that's the suggestion of something abominable. It's just absolutely, completely abhorrent and detestable. And and I believe that that's the way that we should view these things that are an abomination to God. It, it, it is it is horrible to him. He, he detests it. 
All right. Kent in Calhoun, Georgia, says the Old Testament word from which the English word abomination is translated means that which is detestable or loathsome. In the New Testament, this term is translated from a term that is translated and identifies an object of disgust. We should have great concern about these sins, not because we are amenable to the Old Testament covenant of Moses, but rather because the Old Testament identifies how God views such sins and because these same sins are condemned in the New Testament. I really like that point that Kent has made there. Uh, So this is an Old Testament text, right? Uh, uh, And so someone could quibble, well, we're going to an Old Testament text to try and learn a lesson, but the Old Testament doesn't apply to us anymore. But I think Kent's made two very powerful observations there. One is this is we're still dealing with the same God, you know, and and if it was detest if these things were detestable to him in Old Testament times, we, we'd have every reason to believe that they are detestable to him in New Testament times as well, you know. It's not it's not like you know, boy, five years ago I just hated the smell of a dead animal, but you know today it doesn't bother me anymore. That that's 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 just not logical, right? So if these things were detestable to him in times past, we'd have every reason to believe that they are also detestable to him today. And Kent goes further to to say these same sins are condemned in the New Testament, and so that that sort of locks it in. We're not using the Old Testament law as 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 our uh, uh, law today, but it's certainly information to learn from. And as he says, these same these same problems are repeated in the New Testament. So that is a question that's been posed to me in the past: um, Is an abomination a perennial thing for God? Is it if it was an abomination to Him in the Old Testament? Can we assume that everything you mentioned in the Old Testament is an abomination is currently an abomination today, even if it's not explicitly stated in the New Testament? That that would be a, a, an interesting research project. But I'd be willing to argue that everything that's mentioned in the Old Testament as an abomination is either verbatim repeated in the New Testament or at least in principle restated in the New Testament. Okay. Uh, in, in, in principle. There is one verse. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole. We'll talk. We can talk about that later. All right. Um, <laughs> go ahead. Mention it. Well, there's a there's an instruction in Deuteronomy 24 about a woman who's div- put away from her husband. And then she goes and marries another man. And then he puts her away, and she is forbidden from going back to her first husband because it would be an abomination, Deuteronomy 24, verse 4 says, yeah, if she yeah, were to do that. Yeah. So is it an abomination today? We would... Typically, from what we understand from the New Testament, say she'd be permitted to go back to that first husband. Well, it depends. It depends on how that first divorce took place. I mean, I mean, there's there's some there's some yeah. ins and outs about that. I, I guess I would take in general. I would say it's an abomination. Loose regard for marriage contracts is an abomination to God. I, I think we could take that that takeaway. True. True. Okay. All right. Um, now. Um, you got to, I guess we're going on. Oh, I can't, I, I, Dwight, in, out in Iowa, says in Greek it is defined as detestable. Okay. All right, absolutely. Uh, uh, morally disgusting and, and oh, abhorrent. Sorry. That's yeah. the Hebrew. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Thank you yeah. for uh, right. Dwight. So, uh, yeah, I think we've got a handle on that. So, uh, But, again, again, that might be a worthy research project to find all the things mentioned in the Old Testament that are abomination and see if we find a similar parallel in the new testament but the fact of the matter is i I do think still that there's a takeaway for us that we're dealing with the same god things detestable to him in the past are 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 typically detestable to him today especially when we can confirm in the new testament that it says so okay all right and we can do that with all seven that you've listed here tonight so we don't have to rely solely on the old testament for that we can verify that they are still off limits today yeah all right. Um, so the first one is a proud look. Uh, one of the things that's an abomination to God is a proud look. Again, this is from Deuteronomy, or sorry, Proverbs six verses sixteen through nineteen. Familiar passage. Yeah. So, uh, what's what's why why is this such a problem? Why why does God detest a proud look? Well, basically because pride 
leads to a whole host of other consequences, right? Uh, and so pride is is a is a root problem in the heart that then manifests itself in a whole lot of other things that are problems in our lives. Uh, so, you know, so if you're smart, you don't you don't mess around with things that bring evil consequences. Uh, do you ever touch a hot spark? Will you ever touch a spark plug? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, yeah. You, you don't want to do that more than once. But you, yeah. you, you learn your lesson once. That that is not a good thing to do to touch a spark plug. Uh, and and so a smart person says, well, if that's if that's what happens when you touch a spark plug, I'm never touching a spark plug again. I think the same thing is true with all of these uh, abominations, particularly a proud look. A proud. Whenever we allow our pride to get up, then uh, we got. All kinds of other problems that are going to follow. I had a list uh, of nations, great nations that fell. And in all of these verses, it's mentioned how that pride contributed to the fall of nations. Judah, Jeremiah 13, 9. Moab, Jeremiah 48, 29. Babylon, Jeremiah 50, 29. Sodom, Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Egypt, Ezekiel 30, verse 6. Israel, Hosea 5, verse 5. Edom, Obadiah 1, verse 3. Philistia, Zechariah 9, verse 6. And Assyria, Zechariah 10, verse 11. That's, that's a pretty long listing of nations that fell because they became possess, uh, just overtaken by their own pride. Um, Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, and so, again, pride leads to a lot of other problems. Uh, and, and, you know, we could potentially list the kind of problems that pride causes. Uh, pride causes people to refuse to seek God. It causes them to be unwilling to serve God or others. It causes boasting and inappropriate statements. It causes scorning others, holding others in derision. Um, dealing unfairly, unjustly, provoking strife, refusing to repent, dece- and pride causes us even to deceive our own selves. And so for all those kind of reasons, pride is a real trouble in the heart. Yes, uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the opposite of the proud, is the poor in spirit. And this is not just a problem for those who are in the world. This is a real problem for Christians the church at Laodicea had this problem in Revelation chapter 3. He said, "They, he know, I know your works, verse 15, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you're lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'll vomit you out of mouth. Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The church at Laodicea, they were proud. They thought they had it all figured out. Yeah. They were exactly where they needed to be. And Jesus says, you don't see how bad you are. You're not poor in spirit. Instead, you're lifted up in your pride. Jesus says, you've got this proud look. Yeah. You need to get rid of it. Yeah. All right. So that's the first one I think is really important. I, I would argue that in the modern day, this is a particular challenge to people in our world. For us in particular, we've grown up in times of plenty. We have uh, we, we are affluent uh, we have an abundance, and uh, we're kind of proud about our status in life. It's not a healthy thing at all. God hates that one. And so if I know that God hates pride and a proud look, then I need to work at the opposite of that, which is humility, which, by the way, is frequently mentioned in the Word of God as a desirable trait. Absolutely. Hum- humble in heart. Um and we need to get to a break. Before we do, though, you know, there's one thing that uh, people like to say about the Old Testament simply is downright false. And that is that the Old Testament was just about outward deeds and not about your heart versus the the New Testament's about your heart. And the implication is it doesn't really matter what you do in the New Testament as long as your heart is right. The first one we've looked at here takes that idea and just uh, turns it on its ear and says that's not true. The very first thing was a heart issue. And we're going to talk about heart, at a heart that devises wicked thoughts. Yeah. God did care about your heart in the Old Testament, yeah. and he cared about what you did. He cares about your heart in the New Testament. He cares about what you do in the New Testament yeah. as well. Yeah. All right, we'll get a break, and when we get back, we'll get your thoughts. Join in the chat room. Jump on the phone. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. 
After these important messages, we'll be back to take your comments. Email them during this break. Here's some quotes worth pondering. It's hard to defeat a person who never gives up. When life's problems seem overwhelming, look around and see what other people are coping with. You may consider yourself fortunate. In seeking wisdom, thou art wise. In imagining thou hast attained it, thou art a fool. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. Anger, if not restrained, is frequently more hurtful to us than the injury that provokes it. Man, wish I'd said that. Here's a quick thought. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Revelation 21, verse 4. Think about that. God reveals in the heavenly realm, there will be no more death, sorrow and crying, even pain will be taken away. Now that's something worth living for. Seize the day. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Back on the program tonight, talking about seven abominations from the book of Proverbs, chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, and what we can learn about those and make sure that we avoid them in our life. Yeah. The second of the seven things... Dwight, it, in, Dwight in Iowa says, uh, a haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin, Proverbs 21, verse 4. Yeah. A proud look is having a high opinion of oneself, arrogant or haughty. Good observations there, Dwight. And Kent says the ESV translates this sin as a haughty look. Obviously, pride is in control of the thoughts of one under consideration. This sin causes one to exalt self as the standard of authority and view others with contempt, such as refer- a reference to the temperament that underlies the look. Okay. I like that idea of exalting self as the standard of authority. A proud person does that, right? It's because because I'm so smart and I, and I, I'm so talented and I'm I'm so much better than the next guy. My my opinions, my judgments are absolutely right, and I couldn't possibly be wrong in the matters of judgment. Yeah, we the proud the proud look will get you into trouble. Appreciate that, Kent. All right. So the next of the seven is a lying tongue. Well, I think I think if we took a poll, Jacob, I think if we just went out on the streets of Columbia, Tennessee tonight and said to people, is lying a sin? I think probably the overwhelming majority of people would say, oh, yeah, 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 lying's a sin. I think the Bible says lying's a sin. But, you know, there are a lot of ways to lie, which are, I think, craftily designed different things so that they actually end up effectively telling a lie without just verbatim saying so. Uh, uh, for instance, you know, we, the idea of, of a half-truth. It's not the whole truth, it's a half-truth, and it's specifically stated with the intention of causing the person, the other person, to draw a false conclusion. I didn't tell him so, you know. I didn't actually say that, but what I did say was almost inevitable that he was going to draw a false conclusion from what I did say. And some people will console themselves in that, well, I didn't, I didn't really lie. But in effect, they did because the outcome was the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, exaggerating, gossiping, slandering, uh, innuendo, uh, false uh, flattery, uh, the so-called little white lie. Lying is a big deal, and and a while back, and I didn't think to, to to run off the statistics. A while back, I I found some statistics on American people and how often they lie, and the typical American person lies on the order of eight to ten times a day. Uh, so that that tells you it is a pervasive problem. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Dwight says a lying tongue started back in the beginning when the serpent told Eve, you will not certainly die. Lying has always and will always be sinful and not tolerated by God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 163, I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. In Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira lied because of and because of it both lost their lives. Good observations there, uh, Dwight. The first lie told by the serpent the father of lies. 
Kent says, lying tongue, such means to speak with deception or falsehood. When individuals engage in such activity, they pervert facts and hinder individuals with from correct conclusions about situations. Such is often based upon hatred and malice, such as a willful perversion of truth, not only by explicit statement, but also by leaving a false implication by any means. Such is hateful to God because he is the author and originator of all truth. Um, that's an opposition of God. That's a good observation there. Yeah. It's an opposition to His God very nature. Is truth. Yeah. You know, lying becomes a habit. And you know, we even talk about people who are compulsive liars. Mm-hmm. And that may represent a, a psychological disorder of some sort. But it's, it's, uh, it's easy for people to get in the habit of lying. In Titus chapter 1, verse 12, beginning... Paul says, one of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans are always liars. Evil beasts, slow bellies, this witness is true. So, you know, it's possible to get into into the habit of, of lying and, and doing it all the time. And sometimes, and very often we lie in order to make ourselves look better. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so the lying has an underlying root cause, and that is that I want to make myself look good. And that may go back to the pride question as well. But you remember in, in Acts chapter uh, 5 when Ananias and Sapphira lied about the gift that they gave, uh, the, the benevolent gift they gave to the apostles to help needy saints? Dwight they, referenced that in his email. Oh, there. did he? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll leave that to him. But, uh, no, no. He's, he, he, we've, we've talked about it. He oh, just, oh. They just lied because they lost their lives. Yeah, but what the reason they lied is because they wanted to make themselves look good. They wanted right. to make it look like they gave more than they did. Right. Uh, and, and so they lied. Uh, you know, we, we lie to avoid disapproval. Uh, one of the very first, I, I, I suppose, the first lie recorded in the Bible is the one that Cain told. In Genesis 4, verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And Cain said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? Mm-hmm. Well, the reason he lied was to try and cover up his misdeeds, uh, try, try to avoid God's disapproval. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that might motivate us to lie. It's always distasteful to God when we do so. Um, uh, you know, you know, one of the one of the popular old time television shows uh, was the Andy Griffith show. And if you go back, if you ever see any of the old episodes of that Andy Griffith show, it's incredible. Every episode involves lie. Almost, I, I don't. I think probably everyone I've seen, somebody, Andy or Barney or someone else, is telling a lie. Yep. Uh, and typically it's to protect someone else's feelings or to make themselves look good, and it never works. All right. Um, Kyle? Yeah, with those, with those are still entertaining. It's entertaining, but we shouldn't take our lessons from Andy Griffith and the Oates. You know, they, there was, I don't know if you remember, Kyle, back several years ago, there was a Bible class curriculum based on Andy Griffith's show episodes, and, the and, and they would watch of Christ up in Nashville. Were doing that, yeah, and they would watch an episode of Andy Griffith, and then they would talk about the moral lessons to be learned from Andy Griffith. There's not great. There's not a whole lot of great moral lessons to be learned from yep. Andy Griffith, right? Yep. All right. Um, number four. Number four. How are we doing on time? We're right? way ahead of schedule. Okay, now. so we're doing good. We need so, more comments in the chat room. This That's is our actually problem. number three. This is number three. Okay, so number three. Number three is hands that shed innocent blood. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there's been a lot of innocent blood shed th- throughout the centuries. I, I have a list here. Just in the 20th century, so we're in the 21st century, obviously, just in this, the, the previous century, the 20th century, 37 million people died in wars. Evil governments killed 170 million of their own people. The Soviet Union killed 62 million. China killed 45 million. Germany killed 21 million. Japan killed 6 million. Uh, so that's, that's, that's pretty sad to think about how many have died. And that's just in the 100-year period between 1900 and 2000. 37 uh, million, uh, million, 37 million died in war, but 170 million others were killed by their own governments. Over 200 million people. That's, that's, that's pretty sad. 
But I'm going to tell you, whenever I read that expression, hands that shed innocent blood, the thing that comes to my mind first and foremost is abortion. You can't think of more and a more appropriate description of the act of abortion than shedding innocent blood. Those those unborn babies are certainly innocent, and when they are killed, it's the shedding of innocent blood. And, of course, you know, we're talking about how many died in wars and at the hands of their own governments in the 20th century. But just starting in, in 1973 in the United States when the Supreme Court uh, ruled on the Roe versus Wade case that legalized abortion in all states of the union just since then. So this is, this is not in a hundred years. This is in a, in 50 years, a little, just a couple, in a, in a couple more years or just a year or so. We'll celebrate 50, uh, we won't celebrate, but we will observe 50 years of the Roe versus Wade decision. 65 million babies have been killed just in the United States. Abortions are performed all over the world. There's a lot more of that all over the world. But just in our country, 65 million babies have been killed in the last 50 years. That's hands that shed innocent blood. And and you can imagine that that comes up like the stench of a dead body in God's nostrils. I mean, he he hates that. It's an abomination to him. It's completely detestable to him. And and I, I you know, we, we've we've talked before. We've had whole programs on the virtual Bible study about abortion. And if I was going to argue the case against abortion, and there's several ways to do it, I think I would use this this verse right here. The shedding of innocent blood is an abomination to God. Yep, yep. Um, and uh, you know, so I guess we could take the opposite end of this. There is some killing that is justifiable. God says the hands that shed innocent blood. He had prescribed killing of people for various sins that were not innocent. Yeah. Um, you know, there's some there's some a lot of discussion about could a Christian be an executioner? Well, I think one answer to that would be to look here. God had prescribed certain types of killing uh, as punishment. But he has a problem with shedding innocent blood. And that's what Kent says. He says, such as the unjustifiable taking of human life. Murder is the sin in this instance under consideration. The legal execution as a judicial sentence is authorized of God both in the Old Testament as well as by the New Testament of Christ. The phrase innocent blood refers to those who have done no injury and or sin. And so that's the, the, the idea here is that they're innocent. Dwight says, hands that shed innocent blood reminds me of Jesus being crucified. Total innocence on his behalf, and yet he was crucified. In Acts 7, verses 57 through 60, we see Stephen was stoned. Verse 57 of Acts 7. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And so there's some innocent blood being shed as well in Acts chapter 7. Exactly right. You know, I think in that phrase, hands that shed innocent blood, to shed blood implies actively causing injury to another, purposefully, intentionally causing blood to be shed. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I had a note here from Deuteronomy 19, verse 5. When a man goes into the woods with his neighbor to hew wood, and his hand fetcheth a stroke with the axe to cut down the tree, and the head slippeth from the helve, and lighteth upon his neighbor that he die, he shall flee to one of the city's refuge and live. In other words, he was not to be punished as a murderer for for the for causing accidental death. And so to shed innocent blood means to intentionally cause that to happen. Uh, and again, like was said in our email comments, innocent blood has to be differentiated from guilty blood. And so it's very, I think you've got to take that expression at, at, at its full value. It's, it's a matter of purposely, intentionally causing an innocent person to shed blood, to, to lose blood or to die. And so the shedding of innocent blood is an abomination to God. Carelessness can be an, a shedding of innocent blood. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 28, 
If an ox gore a man or woman that they die, then the ox shall surely be stoned, and his flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be but be quit or be uh, acquitted. Verse 29, But if the ox tended to thrust with its horn in times past, and it has been made known to its owner, and he has not kept it confined so that it has killed a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall also be put to death. Yeah. So there's some shedding yeah, of innocent blood where you were careless. It's yeah. uh, where you knew there was a danger there, and you didn't you didn't work to try and mitigate that. Yeah. Um, and there's that shedding of innocent blood. I, but I still think that my biggest takeaway from hands that shed innocent blood is is, is in addressing the horrendous sin of abortion. I mean, I, I can't think of how anything could better picture that. Kyle, any thoughts? Yeah, well, I don't know how anyone can. Well, what, I don't think you can be a Christian. I just, I, you've got to draw a hard line. I don't think you can. There's no way you can say that's not shedding blood. If with obviously with no descriptions, but there's, you can do your own research, and there's no way to get around. That's not. It's a terrible moral. The, the, the very travesty. the very methodology yeah. used yes. in, co- in just, committing abortion. Mm. You know, I I, I got to tell you, I mean, uh, the idea of judgment is a, is a daunting thing. I absolutely would not want to be in the shoes of an abortion doctor on Judgment Day. I mean, wow, God uh, God hates that. It's an abomination to him. Yep. But they can be redeemed, of course. Sure. There's something absolutely, which it's it's there's no there's coming back but there you this is why we have to keep saying that this is a sin and hopefully someone will hear that though. and you know we have and you do hear stories occasionally of someone who was a very pro pro-abortion they say pro-choice i think it's pro-death they were they were a pro-death person but they they've seen the light and they've come come away from that position and so people can change on that but man when you understand how much God hates that sort of thing, it should make people want to change. Yep. And, but let's also note that this is one of seven sins. Uh, we may not be guilty of shedding innocent yeah. blood, but we can be just as guilty of these others, Kyle. And God won't have any more uh, pity on us. Uh, you know, that's inter- Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. So I, I never I never was involved in any way, shape, or form with abortion. Can you imagine I, God? I, I God just got to, you know, that's just got to be disgusting to God. I, I, that abortion I oppose doctor. abortion. I yeah. oppose abortion yeah. with 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 all my heart and soul. Yeah. But I lie. You got that proud look. I got a proud look, and all of those are equated. Yeah. You know, that's what's always amazing. Whenever there's a listing of sins in the Scripture, you know, we tend to categorize things and 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 sort of rate them on a scale of severity. But God doesn't do that. You know, I, uh, I, I have used before in, in sermons from Romans chapter one, the, the catalog of sins, uh, of the pagan Gentile world. And, uh, it mentions things like fornication, maliciousness, murder, debate, uh, backbiters, haters of God, disobedient to parents. Wait a minute. You mean disobedient to parents is to be equated with murderers and fornicators? Well, yeah, it's a sin. And, and, and an unrepentant sin will condemn us to, to hell. All right. Let's get a break at this week's bullet point. When we come back, we're going on to a heart that devises wicked thoughts. What do you think about that? Well, hopefully they're pure thoughts you're thinking about that. We're going to talk about that on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. Hi, my name is Bob Tidwell, and I want to remind you that the virtual Bible study provides a great opportunity to use your computer for something good. So turn off the TV and gather your family around the computer each Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. No matter how old we are, whether very young, middle-aged, or elderly, there are still many things to learn. But it's worth noting that there are some things we should not learn. Jeremiah warned God's people to, quote, learn not the way of the heathen, unquote, Jeremiah 10, verse 2. Certainly this counsel is much needed in today's world. All sorts of wickedness and immorality are being promoted in our culture. Be careful. Don't let the influences of a sinful world take you on a path to eternal destruction. Pray for wisdom to realize that the things of this world are temporary and the pleasures they bring won't last. On the other hand, there are definitely some things that we need to learn. Quote, learn to do well, unquote. So said Isaiah, chapter 1, verse 17. And Paul added, quote, learn to maintain good works, unquote, Titus 3, verse 14. 
These things do not come naturally, so you must work at learning them. Spend some time thinking seriously about what you can do that will help the cause of Christ, promote his church, and assist his disciples. There are many opportunities, but you must be looking for them, and you must learn to use them. Of course, the most important thing to learn is obedience to God. It is said of Jesus, quote, that though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, unquote, Hebrews 5, verse 8. His example is the one we must follow. When we learn from Jesus, we find, quote, rest for our souls, unquote, Matthew 11, verse 29. So beware of bad lessons out there and avoid them. Commit yourself to learning the good things of God. You will never regret it. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. And we welcome you back to the Virtual Bible Study. Reminding you this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more at thevirtualbiblestudy.com or collegeview.com or YouTube. Slash yeah, yeah well, it's a College View live stream. That's our right. sermon and our uh, Bible class uh, channel. And of course, there's a different channel from this one. This is the the virtual Bible study uh, on YouTube. But you can just search for College View in the search bar up on YouTube. It should lead you right to our College View uh, sermon and our Bible class channel. A lot of stuff on there. A lot of good resources. How many videos are you at now, Kyle? Do you keep it running total? Uh, I'm not. It's uh, it's quite a few. We've been hundreds for a few for a yeah. few years now. Hundreds. So, yeah. Okay, check it a out. A lot of resources. All right, we're talking about the seven abominations tonight from Proverbs chapter six, verses sixteen through nineteen, and what we can learn about how God views various sins that may be present in our lives from time to time, and how we need to root those out. Yeah, the fourth one is. A heart that deviseth evil imagination, or wicked imagination. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. I, I saw uh, the word deviseth actually comes from a root word meaning to plow. Uh, and I was thinking, you know, if you think of a farmer and plowing his fields in preparation for planting his crop, he, he plans that. That, that, that. That's not unintentional. That's a very intentional thing. And so when we devise wicked imaginations, then we're purposefully scheming to do something evil. Uh, Proverbs 6, verse 12, a worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a false mouth, who winks with his eye, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart devises evil continually. So, again, that's a very similar statement, also also from the Proverbs, very similar to our text tonight. Um, you know, you, you might think about what caused God to send the great flood in the days of Noah. In, in Genesis chapter 6, uh, it says at verse 5, God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So this has been an ongoing problem. This is sort of like you know, the guy lays in his bed at night devising how he can do more bad things uh, the next day. Uh, you know, he he is actually he is actually in the planning and intention to do evil, and God hates that. Dwight says the heart that devises wicked imaginations is someone who continually thinks and carries out evil thoughts, the one who lies in bed all night thinking of evil in different ways to hurt or ridicule others. Wow. Thank you, Dwight, for that. Yeah. He's on that idea again, lying in bed, planning it out in bed. You know, the, the, the imaginations, uh, our imaginations, those are our thoughts. I think, I think those would be synonymous, wouldn't they? Our thoughts and our imaginations. So God hates... A heart that devises wicked imaginations. So this is saying, certainly we know that God is aware of our thoughts. And, and if our, and if our thoughts dwell upon evil things, God hates that. Of course, God knows and we should know that thoughts precede actions. And so one of the problems of dwelling on evil, of imagining evil things, is that we almost certainly will proceed to do evil things. And so God hates even the, even the thought of evil, not, not just the carrying out of the deeds, but the, the thoughts that precede the deeds. Absolutely. And again, this is a indication that God cares about our heart and, um, that we're doing, uh, not only not doing bad things, we're not thinking bad things. Kent says, 
This literally means um, a heart that devises iniquity. This reference is about schemes which harm or humiliate others. It also speaks with reference to the invention of plans that will lead individuals into sin. So scheming about how to harm or humiliate others. Interesting. You know, one of the things that ought to be mentioned here is that this sort of thing is self-destructive. I don't know if people realize that, but it's uh, a couple of verses. Proverbs 12, verse 20. There is deceit in the heart of those who plot evil, but joy for those who promote peace. Notice, so if you if you do the opposite, you're blessed. If you but but it brings harm uh, to those who devise evil. Uh, uh, Psalm 62, verse 3. How long will you imagine mischief? As a bowing wall shall ye be, and as a tottering fence. If, if you imagine mischief, you, you weaken yourself. Uh, so, and, and of course, ultimately, God rejects those who do that. Romans one again, the pagan Gentile world. Romans one twenty one. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Wherefore God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of, these, of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So they had vain imaginations. Ultimately, God gave them up. Yeah. And that's what will happen to us as well. All right. Yeah, I think we always talk about guarding our hearts. And, you know, it's, it's just a, that's a daily, that's every, that's a moment-by-moment moment thing. When You know, like if so at the, the fence, like if you have animals and you keep them contained, if you let your fences, you know, get worn down, they will get out at some point. Something will get in. You know, we have to make sure we keep our defenses, make sure we're guarding our hearts, our thoughts, and make sure our thoughts don't lead to gateway there things that we don't make a make a. We don't want to, to cater a whole buffet for sin and make sure that they're ready. Or just there you we go. have to be. Def- we have to be defensive. We have to be on the offense too. That we're keeping sin and keeping temptations away from us. Daily, moment by moment, just uh, so our thoughts don't lead to those wicked machinations and things that could lead us to. Yeah, yeah. You, you make me think about First Peter five verse eight, where the, we need to be sober, be vigilant, because the devil's a roaring lion. So be careful, and it starts in our thoughts, Kyle. So I got to keep control of my thoughts, and that's along the lines of what Dwight said in the chat room. He references Philippians four verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. Um, we need to be keeping our heart with all diligence, as the proverb writer would say. Exactly right. What time we got? Let's, uh, let's see. We've got three more things. Let's, let's grab one more real quick. The, the fifth abomination mentioned in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19, is feet that be swift in running to mischief. Well, I think obviously the mischief here is sin. You know, this is not just, you know, you know, sometimes we might use the word mischief to suggest, you know, oh, he's just playing a practical joke, you know, you know, uh, this, this mischief is, is synonymous with sin. And God hates, and it is an abomination, when people are swift in running to mischief. You know, there's all kind of mischief in the world. There's all kind of sin in the world. Drugs and alcohol and sexual immorality and just all kinds of things. It doesn't take any talent to go after those. I mean, anybody can do that. No. You know, I, I, I've thought before about, you know, the, the engagement in pornography, you know, and, and, and some people just overtake it. Well, it doesn't take any talent to find pornography in today's world. Anybody can do that. But the, the lesson here is if you, if you pursue that, if you, if you are swift in running to that sort of thing, then you haven't achieved anything special. And what you need to know is God hates that sort of thing. It's easy. I guess the point we're making, and, and I'm reminded of the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, enter at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Many there be which go in there at. I mean, you know, it takes no talent or special effort whatsoever to be in the broad way that leads to destruction. And these people whose feet are swift to run to mischief are in that broad way leading to destruction. They're looking for it. They have an appetite for it, and they're pursuing that appetite, and that is an abomination to God. 
Um, feet that are swift and running to evil is a person who loves and enjoys getting caught up in the ways of the world, Dwight says. And Kent says the language speaks with reference about one who shows eagerness to act in a sinful way. God not only hates the overt practice of sins, he also hates the implementation of those plans. You know, one of the things that uh, we might mention is... as we say these things, don't imagine that we're immune from the danger of each one of them, any of them. Uh, so uh, you might think of the case of David with Bathsheba. David was a was a great man. Uh, he was a hero in Old Testament times. He even called a man after God's own heart. But in the uh, look, how a good man like David was overtaken in the sin with Bathsheba, and 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 you sort of think of the progression. Uh, uh, a, a, a lustful look, the, the engagement in sexual immorality, the lying and deception, and the ultimate murder of, of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite. I mean, here's David, and his feet were swift in running to sin or mischief. Uh, it, it can overtake any of us, and I, I think it just tells us we've got to be uh, extra careful in the, in, in the face of all the temptations that exist in the world today. Uh, God hates it uh, when we pursue wickedness and evil. Dwight and Michelle in the chat room say the Apostle Paul even had to buffet his body daily to overcome sin. And so Paul was working uh, against this to make sure he didn't have feet that were swift in running to mischief. Actually, I think a good verse that just we might conclude our thoughts here on this verse. Here's the opposite of that. What Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Instead of running to mischief, run away from mischief. Flee youthful lust. All right. All right, we're going to get a break, and then we go to the top of the hour. Two more to go. Don't go anywhere. We're back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. My name is Roger Toomes, and me and my wife love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday nights. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. According to a recent study, only 37% of Americans are sure they will be with God in heaven, while 23% hope they will get to heaven. Another 17% say no one can really know if they're going to heaven. Among those who say they are sure they will be with God in heaven, only 63% hold Christian beliefs, while 21% who do not hold Christian beliefs say they are sure they will go to heaven. That information is via the Christian Post. The Word of God says in John 14, verse 6, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And we'll go to the top of the hour quick with two more ideas to consider. Before we do, Dwight and Michelle missed this comment from them. Uh, they ask, are we lying, when we talk about that lying tongue, are we lying when we know that one is in sin and when we say nothing unto them, yet say that we love them? To them that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to them it is sin. Uh, I don't know, Dwight. I don't know if I'd call it. It's certainly wrong. Uh, I don't know. You know. Someone could quibble as to whether that constitutes an actual lie. Well, to uh, say that you love them when you're not doing anything about it. Yeah, yeah, that, th- yeah. Then that in itself is untrue for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, I think okay. so. All right. Interestingly, we'll use Dwight's comments as a segue to this number six in the seven things God hates that are an abomination to Him: a false witness that speaketh lies. Now, isn't that interesting? Because we we started out a, a proud look, a lying tongue. So the second of the seven things was a lying tongue. And here, number six is a false witness that speaketh lies. So take note of this. Two out of the seven things mentioned involve lying. You sit up and take notice. God hates it when we don't tell the truth. Well, two of them are also connected with justice, hands that shed innocent blood and a false witness that speak lies. Those are both uh, tied, those, tied together yeah. as well because your witnesses were what condemned someone to death. So so that that's a perversion of justice. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, this false witness that speaketh lies, that's a specific kind of lying. That's telling lies about someone else uh, in order to cause them harm. Uh, bearing false witness or giving false testimony 
with the intention of hurting them in the outcome. I, I, you know, you know uh, the classic example are those who lied about Jesus. Obviously, when they when they claimed that they'd seen him engaged in sinful conduct, they were lying. Jesus did no sin. In fact, in, in the gospel accounts, it's interesting. They couldn't even agree. They couldn't get their lies to line up with one another. Mm-hmm. Their testimony contradicted one another. Uh, but uh, bearing false witness is a particularly bad thing because we're lying with the specific intention of causing harm to that other person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it was one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 16, the ninth commandment was, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Uh, so, I mean, it's again, typical of these things we're talking about tonight. This has been true. Uh, all of these things are repeated in both the Old and New Testament, but it, it was uh, it was detestable to God in Old Testament times. Here's the interesting Deuteronomy 19 verse 16: If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him. As he had thought to have done to his brother, so shalt thou put the evil away from among you. Uh, so, you know, under the Old Testament, if you found out this guy's bearing false witness, what you do is you punish him with what he was hoping to cause the punishment to come upon the other person. Uh, so, again, you, you see how this has been an abomination to God. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Proverbs twenty five eighteen: A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. Well, a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow hurt, and the, and the one who bears false witness against his neighbor is intentionally hurting him or trying to, at least. Uh, and there are a lot of examples uh, in the case of Stephen. Uh, it was mentioned earlier about the the, the uh, martyrdom of Stephen. Uh, those who were trying to get him in trouble set up false witnesses mm-hmm. against him mm-hmm. in Acts chapter 6, beginning verse 8. Uh, uh, Paul uh, had people lying about him, Acts 25, verse 7. Uh, they, they laid many grievous complaints against Paul, which they could not prove, it says. And, of course, Jesus is the ultimate example, as we said. Here's, here's Prover- or, excuse me, Mark 14, beginning verse 56. Many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. Uh, neither did their witness agree together. So they were false witnesses. They couldn't get their lies to line up with each other. And, of course, they were purposely lying about Jesus so they could condemn him uh, to die. Uh, and, uh, of course, one of the notable things we try to remember about Jesus, I think one of the things we try to remember each week as we observe the Lord's Supper is he voluntarily allowed that to take place. You know, he didn't even... Even when they were lying about him, he made no effort to defend himself, even with words. It says, as a, as a sheep had done before his shears, so opened he not his mouth. I mean, these people were obviously lying. He didn't even respond because he was he was voluntarily laying his life down. All right. Um, Dwight and Michelle reference uh, James 3, 6. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. Uh, tongue gets us into a lot of trouble. Kent says the language speaks with reference about one who sows eagerness to act in a sinful way. God not only hates the overt practice of sin, he also hates the implementation of those plans. And um, Dwight, in his email, says, a false witness who speaks lies is a person who deliberately gives false testimony. We would call this perjury. Okay. Okay. That's right. All right. Thank Let's you. grab this last one, number seven. I think this is really interesting that this is in this list because I, I think I know a lot of Christians who don't think it's such a big deal to, to cause trouble between brethren. Mm-hmm. But the number seven thing that God hates and abomination to him is he that soweth discord among brethren. I, I kind of think that the, the word sowing there is interesting. Because when we sow seed, we're doing that with the hope of an outcome. So spring is coming around here in Middle Tennessee, and, and gardeners will soon be sowing their garden seeds. You don't get the result that, uh, immediately, but what you're hoping is over time... You'll you'll get the, the the crop that you want. You plant corn, you plant beans, you, whatever. You 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 are planting, you are sowing toward a desired outcome. And those who sow discord among brethren, they're very crafty in their in their in their methodology. 
And they're usually typically patient in getting the outcome they want. The outcome they're seeking is division, contention, trouble between brethren. And they, and they, and they work subversively to get that outcome. All right. Um, and so intentionally, does it have to be intentionally? Can it also be unintentionally? You mentioned sowing like planting a seed on purpose, like I go pick out what crop I want and then I sow it. Can I also do it unintentionally? You know, I, I hadn't really thought about that, but, you know, sometimes we do do that. Sometimes we, we scatter seeds that are not the seeds that we intended, but but, but they bring about. A, so, you know, uh, as springtime rolls around, we may scatter the seeds of weeds in our yard unintentionally. So you've you got to take precaution so that that doesn't happen. If you want a nice-looking lawn, you don't want the dandelions all in there. You're going to take certain precautions to keep even accidental sowing of seeds from happening. Good point. Romans 12, verse 18, if it be possible as much as life, then you live peaceably with all men. And um, so I can, can, whether, you know, my intentions are or or whether I'm just careless with that, Kyle, I can just, I can behave in such a way that causes peace to be destroyed yes i i mean you can give all kinds of examples like you may overhear something something that's not really your in your i'd say your business but something it could be it's something that's not your that you have nothing to do with but then you run in about some church business that you run and tell someone else about that you can there's something that's unintentional that someone else hears about it's gossip is among that so it's something we need to make sure that we're not accidentally spreading things that we just need to I was thinking the same way Kyle gossip and idleness and busybodies are condemned in the scripture Proverbs 26:20 where no wood is there the fire goeth out so where there is no talebearer the strife ceaseth as coals are to burning coals and wood to fire so is a contentious man to kindle strife right. uh and and so you know uh what what's the why why am I telling this? What what's what's my intention here? I I got a little juicy piece of gossip for you here, Kyle. But what am I why am I telling that? What's my what's my intention? I'm trying to get you to think worse of the other guy. I'm causing contention, strife between brethren. I think we all well, I think we're all guilty. I think it's something a little it's a little a little diamond, a little gem of just gossip, this juiciest piece of gossip that's ever you've ever come about. That's like it's just that little treasure we just we gotta make sure we're it's a heart thing. We gotta make sure that that's something that one, it's not if it falls into our lap, it needs to die in our lap. So we need to make Amen sure to that, that. Yeah. so yeah. Yep. All right. Proverbs sixteen twenty eight. A froward man so a strife froward means willfully contrary. A willfully contrary man so a strife and a whisperer separate us chief friends uh proverbs sixteen twenty seven. an ungodly man diggeth up evil and in his lips there is a burning fire uh so we, we just we got to be on guard against conduct that would cause strife uh among brethren discord among brethren again i'm concerned that it seems that there are a lot of Christians who just, that's not even, that, that problem is not even on their radar, radar screen. They don't care. They don't care if what they're doing could cause big trouble among brethren. And so they just go willy-nilly and cause all kinds of trouble sometimes without even acting as though it's a big deal. It's a big deal. God hates that. It's an abomination to him. It is a big deal. Kent, in his email, says the passage is not discussing the opposition of sin in the lives of others, but rather the destruction of harmony, peace, and proper love among those who dwell in a God-approved relationship. And uh, Dwight says, all who, uh, all, and one who sows discord among brethren, so much can be said on this, but a brother or sister can sow discord through gossip, lying, stirring up issues when they don't actually exist. So many things that we can do to sow discord, and much would be caused by lack of love for the brethren and lack of faith in the word of God. He concludes, all these can be forgiven with the true act of repentance and obedience in God's word. I think that's exactly right. Uh, you know, and, and, and all these things need to be repented of because they are sins that will damn the soul to hell. Okay. All right. We are at time. Kyle, final thoughts from you. I think uh, we need to make sure that we're not doing these things, but there's also... Of course, there's things not listed here, like you said, so we make sure we're knowing all that God does not like, but we're doing things that God does like, so we make yeah. sure that we're, yeah. 
All right. Thanks for being here, Kyle. Good to be with you tonight. Dad, thanks for your time tonight. Thanks, Jacob. Good to be with you. And thank you for joining us on the other end of the line tonight. We welcome your comments at any time. Questions at collegeview.com. Hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word tonight. Hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.